Nathan Brennan has had a pretty good career so far. He's a two-time Olympian. He's overcome some pretty devastating setbacks, including a herniated back disc. He cleaned up in the NCAA as a member of the U-Michigan team, is the owner of four Canadian track records in ranging middle distances, and has a Commonwealth silver medal. But here's the thing. At 32, he's not done yet. And he's aiming higher than ever, including setting his eyes on a podium spot in Rio. On the show today, Nathan Brennan, the middle distance maverick from Cambridge, Ontario, talks training, sacrifice, and the highs and lows in a running career that is nowhere near finished. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. You're from Cambridge, Ontario, and uh, while I can't speak for what it was like when you were growing up, it seems that that part of Ontario seems to have a really strong running culture now. It's uh, super close to Guelph, Toronto, London, Hamilton, KW, all homes of good clubs and some really good races every year. Describe for me what it was like growing up in Cambridge and what kind of impact it had on your running. Uh, it was definitely huge for my running. Um, had I been somewhere else, I may never have, have known my potential and, and maybe not even pursued a, a career or anything in running so I, I'm really thankful for where I grew up um, but I think the big thing was just growing up there and seeing the people that were older than me and, and everyone raised the bar for each other so had I been somewhere else and, and the standard was four minutes for 1500 it, I might have only been a 358 guy but because of my location and, and the guys around me we, we started kind of chipping at that stone and getting faster and running 341 in high school and and I I definitely give a lot of credit to to Pete my high school coach for for the coaching that he gave me and just being such an amazing um, mentor and and coach for me growing up but yeah I think the big thing is just seeing the guys around me and everyone raising the bar and that's that's what you see now like Guelph has an amazing program there Dave Scott Thomas has built and they're just trying to raise and every other program around the country is trying to kind of emulate what they're doing and for everyone it's just it's raising the bar and you see Canadian running start uh, kind of taking off here which is which is great. From there you went to uh, university at U Michigan where you had some very impressive results 11 time All-American between cross and track back to back NCAA 800 meter titles the list goes on and on. Uh, what were the big lessons that you picked up there, and what was perhaps the biggest highlight of your time in the NCAA? Uh, the, the biggest lesson, I guess, and the thing that I always push for, for people to go to the NCAA is, is learning to race. Um, there are those, those opportunities in college where you, you go to the NCAA system, and it's just about getting in a fast time, but you also really learn how to race. Um, and I think when you, when you look back and see the guys that have skipped NCAAs, that's one thing that they're missing. Is learn they they can get out in time trial, but knowing how to relax into kind of a a bunched up situation in the middle of a race or respond to to movement and um, I, that's one thing I I think I really um, gained from from going through that system. Um, and then the, the other big thing is just being part of a team like we had at Michigan at the time. Nick Willis is there, myself, uh, Andrew Ellerson, Mike Woods. Uh, we had Alan Webb for a bit, so just being on distance medley relays with them and knowing we go to every meet, and it was like, are we going to chase a, a collegiate record today, or we're we just going to go for the win? So definitely a DMR was the the biggest highlight, just knowing how good our team was. Um, 
individual stuff was great, but it was it was really fun being part of a team. Now, I've read in your bio that you always had aspirations of making it to the Olympics. When did you realize that your dreams could actually be achieved and you could one day go to the Olympics? Um, in, in high school, I was always one of the better runners. I don't think it was tall. I think I was like grade 11 where I really kind of broke through. And um, at that point, I was like, okay, I want to get a scholarship. And then when I made the, the world championships as a junior in Edmonton, when I ran 146, that's when I realized that it wasn't just a dream anymore, that if things, obviously I, I had to, things had to fall into place and everything worked out with training and fitness and, and being healthy. But at that point, I knew that it wasn't just going to be a dream anymore. It could be reality if, if I kind of kept at it and, and worked hard. You missed the 2004 <clears throat> Olympics with a, an unfortunate ankle injury just two months out. Uh, you then came back from that and won a silver at the 2006 Commonwealth. Uh, how does that rank in your all-time achievements? Um, that's, that's probably my biggest achievement. Um, like I said, there's, there's other ones that are up there. If you look on, on paper, that's probably the, the biggest achievement I have to date. Um, unfortunately, I wish there was some, some other ones that were right up there, and it's been a while since that one. But um, it's definitely the, the biggest achievement, I think, running my 352 mile or stuff like that. It's, it's probably equivalent, um, making a world championship final, finishing 10th is probably pretty close to, to that just because it's, it's a bigger stage. Unfortunately, I think 2012 would have been my, my best finish ever at a World Champ Olympic Games, but going down in the semifinals is a tough way to make it into the, the final. Uh, in 2007, you were set back again with a, a herniated back disc less than a year from the Games. Doctors said mm -hmm. that it was possible that you may never run again. For any athlete, I'm sure that news would be devastating. You did end up making it to Beijing, though. How did you keep motivated and positive through all you know all the through all that negativity? Um, obviously, the Olympic Games is a big motivator. Um, hopefully, that's not everyone's only motivator because usually, when someone makes it, that's usually the, the, the end of their career if that's the only thing they run for. I, I truly love running and, and competing and. and being fit. <laughs> and so that kept me going and that, that was the drive I had to, to get back. And then also knowing that was my first Olympic games that I would be trying to make. And that was a huge motivator. So yeah, coming through that and knowing I, I could make it back, um, has made the next, well, I guess it's been seven, eight years almost since then. It's made these last eight years a little easier. Um, cause I literally had surgery on November 30th. I didn't run until January 1st. And on January 1st, 2008, I started uh, 30 seconds of running, four and a half minutes of walking. And so it, it was a long process to, to make it back. Um, so I know I can do it. And that's kind of the unfortunate thing is if I, if I get injured, I know, well, as long as I have six or eight weeks, I can usually get down to about a 336. Um, it's good to have that in the back of your mind, but at the same time, it's, it's a bad thing to have knowing that I could kind of screw around and still make it sometimes. So... Once in a while, I have to give myself a little kick in the butt to get going. I, I don't think I have to tell you that is an incredibly serious uh, injury. How much of a factor was it when you arrived in, in Beijing? Um, it wasn't at all after that. Um, I was real smart with my, my rehab. Um, literally two weeks after surgery, as soon as the doctor gave me the okay, I flew out to Vancouver and, and spent a mon month with uh, Marilou Lamy, who was our um, team physio at the time for Athletics Canada. So I was there for a month, went home for two weeks, went back for another six weeks. So I was in and out with her, with Wynn getting treatment. Um, and then when things kind of finally settled down, 
post-surgery things were good we started ramping things up but like I said it was a long and, and slow process we were very smart and very careful with it um, but once I got back we ramped right up and luckily I haven't I've had some kind of setbacks since then with the injury but we know how to address it now and just as long as I keep up on things, it's it's good. From there, you went on to uh, race the next year and break the fastest Canadian indoor mile. You also hit some personal bests leading up to the 2012 Games. Uh, given your attempts at Olympic glory, how hungry were you after that, after the 2008 Olympics, leading up to the 2012 Games? I went to the 2008. It was it was a weird games because I had just qualified and I was there obviously to, to do something and, and hopefully make the final and, and see how, how high I could finish against the best guys in the world. But it, it's, it's hard because every time someone makes the Olympics, they want to go there and say, I'm not just here to say I'm an Olympian. Once you get there, it's like, oh, I made it. Everything that I've, I've worked for finally happened. And I think some athletes let their guard down in, in that sense. Um, I tried not to let that affect me and let the games affect me, but unfortunately... I had a really good first round, and I didn't sleep between the first round and the semifinals and, and went into the semi just exhausted. And I think I let the the excitement of the games just get to me too much. And that was one thing I went into 2012 saying that I definitely wasn't going to do. Um, so I just kind of shut myself out and really focused on 2012 and, and doing the best I could. Speaking of 2012, you were in the, the 1500 semifinal and you took a tumble. And I think I'm, I'm going to speak for most people who saw it when I say that, you know, my heart just sank. But when you got up and, and chased that lead pack, that was uh, pretty inspiring. What was going through your mind during and after that race? It's funny, I get asked that all the time, but there wasn't the only thing that was going through my head was to get up and get back in like people after like did you think about stopping like walking off like my answer is no like that never crossed my mind i'm in there to race and i literally got back up and thought okay i can catch these guys i can get back into it and i did i got back to the back of the pack just as they started kind of winding up the the last lap and kicking in so unfortunately i didn't have anything left but yeah, the initial thought was, all right, I can still make the final. I'm going to work as hard as I can. And in the back of my mind, I knew that was probably not realistic. But of course, I'm going to. If you're not an athlete, if you don't try, so I did it. Did my best to to make that final, but unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Well, now we're here in uh, 2015. There's Rio next year. There's an important slate of events this year. Uh, what are the big landmarks between here and Rio? Um, like I said, the big things this summer is Pan Ams and Worlds. So gearing up toward those and, and hopefully get uh, a world standard out of the way in, in end of May, beginning of June, and just kind of focus on doing well this summer and, and hopefully doing a little better at Worlds than I did last time. Um, but no matter where you are in a cycle, a cycle is a, usually we call a four-year period. So after 2012, we started thinking 2016. So everything this summer is gearing up toward next year. So doing as well as I can at, at Rio and um, kind of trying to do a little better than last time. But yeah, so like I said, this summer is all about seeing where, where I can kind of come against the, the best guys in the world and, and better myself from last time. But the back of my mind still thinking about Rio next summer. What does three-time Olympian, what does that phrase mean to you? <laughs> it's a, I think it's a pretty rare thing to say that, but I don't want to just be a three-time Olympian. I want to be an Olympic finalist. So um, I'm not necessarily going to, to be a three-time Olympian. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to go to be an Olympic finalist. Um, had I been 
a medalist in 2012, maybe maybe I'd say different things right now, but I've never made the Olympic final, so that's the goal next year to get in there and see how high I can finish. Um, but uh, yeah, three time is kind of out of my head, and it's just let's just race against the best guys at the Olympics. The Terminal Mile presents interval sessions. Ten quick questions with ten quick answers. Are you a music in sort of guy on long runs? I'm not. No, I'm. I'm really actually against music on long runs, only because I feel like you can't get fully into the long run if you're listening to music. I like to hear my footsteps, know where I'm at, understand my breathing. So maybe I'm too intense in that sense. But yeah, I, I don't really like music for for especially long runs. What's your favorite shoe to train in? Uh, right now I'm in the Cortana Saucony. All my shoes are Saucony, since I'm hence uh, being with them. But or Cortana or Canvara, I should say. Uh, website you spend too much time on? Uh, probably Facebook, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> favorite runner of all time, past or present? Um, I, I can't say I have one favorite runner. There's runners I like to, to emulate or look up to. Obviously, growing up in Canada, Sully is, is a big runner that most runners should should want to be like. Um, so he, he's the, the guy I want to one day hopefully break some of his records. Not because I want to take his name out of the books, but just because I feel like running the times he did puts you at another level. The race you're most proud of? Um, I, I probably have two, if I look back. Winning my first NCAA title, and then uh, second at Commonwealth Games in 2006. Are you a dog person or a cat person? A uh, dog, all the way. Favorite running movie? Without Limits. Favorite race distance? Uh, 1,500. Preferred career choice post-running? Probably coaching. I'd like to stay in the sport if I can. Favorite place to train? Um, probably Scottsdale, Arizona. Right now you're in Arizona training. Why there? I mean, besides the obvious uh, better temperatures, what else does it have to offer you? Um, well, the reason we're here is I, I joined uh, Win Gimitrowski's group back in 2011. It was my first year kind of fully with him. Um, and that's just the place they would come in the winter. So Gary Reed was the one who kind of initiated originally, I think, with Win. Gary was just sick of the, the cold weather up in, well, better than what we get in Ontario, but in, in Victoria, the rainy, cold winters, and so they started coming down here, and um, it's just something that's that's stuck now. We come down every every summer or every winter to get out of the the cold weather that we get at home and just get some good training. And in terms of a reason why here compared to other places, there there probably isn't a good answer. It's just nice weather, um, trails right here, and then the proximity to Flagstaff's a big one. So we'll go up to altitude come usually around April May. Um, so it's an easy two-hour drive up there. You mentioned your coach. Uh, who else is down there with you training right now? Our group right now consists of Matt Hughes, Peter Corrigan, and myself. And then we got um, Jess Furlon in the steeple as well. So we have a little smaller group than we usually have. Um, Colin or Olivier Collins is, is part of our group right now as well. He's, he's still at UVic finishing his degree, but um, Wynn coaches him. So he'll, see, he'll come down and join us in, in Flagstaff. But our group back in 2012, I think we had about 17 people. Now we've cut down to four or five. So a little, little, little smaller of a group, but it's, uh, I think it's a little easier for, for Win to manage. Maybe small group, but uh, sounds like a pretty quality group if, uh, if you ask me. Yeah, it's a great group to be with. Uh, walk me through a typical week of training for you at this time of year. Uh, how much running are you doing? Uh, maybe some distance of your long run, your workouts, uh, quality versus quantity. How much time are you spending in the weight room, that sort of stuff? Uh, a typical week, we're working out two to three days a week. Um, we're in the weight room twice a week. 
And then typically I'm taking off a, a one day every three weeks. So usually a Monday is a day off. Um, long runs, Sundays. This morning I went 16. Matt went 17. I'm just kind of building my mileage back up now from a little bit of Achilles um, injury in the fall. So just getting back into it. But just doing a lot of base training. Um, this time of year it's usually just strength. So this week I hit 75. And like I said, this is still a building. I'll be up in mid-80s to low-90s will be a typical week for me. Um, we double about four days a week. Um, so it's pretty intense. Like Friday's workout was two sets of six 800s. So it's it's a, a long workout off of a minute. Um, so that's a, a typical stuff right now, just doing long, long work, um, short recovery. When you were in college, the 800 was really the race where you shine the brightest. You now seem to be favoring the, the longer middle distance races. Uh, why the change? Um, I think the big thing was I, I went into Michigan a little bit better at the, the 800 than, than the mile. I ran 359 in the mile in high school, but 146 in the eight. So 146 is an automatic kind of impact in the NCAA system. So it made sense to stick with the eight. And the, the reason I switched to being more 815 in high school compared to 15 3K was Pete Grimberg's at the time said, let's just focus on building speed. And then, because he always saw me as a, a 1500 slash miler, but stay down and build speed as long as we could and went to college and that was the same kind of concept that Ron Warhurst had at Michigan. Stay down at the eight as long as I could and then eventually get up into the 15. Um, I think I stayed a little longer than the plan, but when Nick Willis came in, Ron wanted to keep us separate, so I would run the eight, he'd run the 15. And it, it worked with scoring points and, and not having to uh, compete against each other all the time. Last year, you set uh, two Canadian records, uh, both in indoor events. Uh, do you have any uh, CRs on your watch list this year? Um, no, not this year. I'm not kind of planning on, on going after any records. The, if a record comes through just chasing a stand or whatever, great. But um, the focus is just getting um, into that, that world champ final again and, and being consistent and, and running fast, but um, just taking things as they come. Um, last year was kind of an off year with, with just the Commonwealth and not an Olympic or world champ year. So we decided to make more of an impact in the indoor season. And so that was the only reason that, uh, those records worked out, just got into a couple races that went fast. Not only are you a runner, but you're now also a dad and a husband between flying around the world for meets and training. How do you balance each role? (laughs) Um, having a very good wife at home helps a lot. So she was a runner. She understands running, um, and I think that's a huge thing. Is she she gets what I'm trying to do, and she understands that being at home. And we live in Ohio right now. Um, that's where she's from, and it makes sense being there, close to her family, with, to to have the help with our kids. But she understands being there, training by myself in the snow in the winter isn't conducive to to fast times. So uh, luckily for me, she. <laughs> It's bad to say, but allows me to to be away this long. Um, it's very tough. Obviously, I have my uh, son Grayson is six months now. My daughter Gianna is just over three years. So being away from them is tough, but it's uh, hopefully a short term sacrifice for for long term goals that I'm going after. And um, one day I'll just be that that stay at home dad that they're probably wait, waiting for me to leave on the the weekends. But 
for now it's yeah making these big sacrifices to to achieve hopefully the the dream I'm I'm going after. Now obviously running is something that you are incredibly passionate about. You have to be, as it is, like you mentioned, no regular job. Along with all the great things that come with being a runner, what are some of the things that you've had to sacrifice to make this work? Um, being away from family is, is the, the biggest sacrifice. So not being home with my wife and, and watching the small things that you take for granted with, with kids. I, I missed uh, my daughter rolling over for, for the first time. Like it's little things like that. I, I catch it on Skype and, and see it, but just being there... Um, is is what I'm missing. It's a little tough, but it's uh, it, it's funny because it, people always say the grass is always greener. So being in this situation, you're like, oh man, it'd be great to go with with friends and just have fun for a weekend. But you're always worried about the workout the next day at the long run. So you sacrifice those things. Having a, a drink here and there. I don't drink a lot, but it's it'd be nice to know on a Wednesday night I could have X number of beers if I wanted to. You know, one day that that'll be reality, but for now it's not. Um, but I, I don't think any runner really realizes how lucky they are until they're injured. So they always think, "Oh, the grass is always greener. It'd be great to to be able to do those things." Then they get injured and they're able to do those things, and they can't run as well as they want to. And they're like, "Man, I would give up anything just to be back fit." So it's it's a tough thing to balance, balancing both things, giving up certain things to be where we're at, but. At the end of the day, I think everyone in my situation walks away happy knowing that they sacrificed those things for um, the goals that they had because I have the rest of my life to enjoy uh, the things I'm missing, aside from family, obviously. But yeah, so uh, hopefully short-term gains for long-term um, happiness. <laughs> mm -hmm. When I was uh, doing research for the interview, I came across a crowdfunding profile that you had set up. Uh, there are a lot of questions regarding how athletes are paid. In a perfect mm -hmm. world, how would you make sure that athletes get access to the best training available without worrying uh, about or compromising other aspects of their lives? Obviously, in a, in a perfect world, track would be right up there with whatever, NHL, NFL, NBA, where you are a full-time athlete. Um, most people say we're full-time athletes. Like, Luckily, I, I'm, I'm able to do this full-time, but a lot of people have part-time jobs or whatever trying to achieve that dream of making Olympic Games. And um, Unfortunately, just, there, there isn't the amount of money in track that a lot of the general public maybe thinks that there is. Um, most people I talk to, they're like, oh, you're a two-time Olympian. You must, you must be, have all these endorsements. Like, no, unfortunately, we're not NASCAR. Like, you have one sponsor, and that's it. And so it'd be nice if, if track was a little bit bigger. And um, I know I only have X number of years left, but it'd be nice if there was that legacy that went on that track started becoming a bigger sport and um, became one of those top sports like, like NHL or NFL where athletes are paid what they, they should be and can do this full time and can support a family on it. But I don't know if we'll, we'll see that in our lifetime <laughs> with the, the way things are going. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice that there are those crowdfunding things or carding with Athletics Canada that keeps the young athletes in the sport that potentially would just retire after college because there just wasn't funding for them. So it's nice there's that one little stepping stone that can keep them in and um, 
allow them to see the success that they may never have uh, have noticed. It's been a hot topic lately, and I saw a tweet that you put out there regarding potential new doping penalties for Germans who get caught. Uh, what are your thoughts on doping? Are you in favor of lifetime bans? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's it's a tough situation because it, it just seems like everyone these days are doing something sketchy. You just see stuff all the time. Evan Dumphy with uh, one of the race walkers for Canada has been tweeting a lot of stuff and, and posting about the, the Russian um, race walkers that are on bands and competing. So unfortunately, it's one of those big things in our sport. And I think the only way to really clean it is is to have that deterrent of a lifetime ban. Um, I don't think that'll clean up the sport still just because most of them are just doing it for, for the money. So if they have a short-term success, get that get caught, lifetime ban, oh well. Um, they're not doing it for the self-gratification of winning an Olympic medal or, or making a final. Um, but I don't, I don't know if there's a good answer on how to clean up the sport, but a lifetime ban is definitely a start. Four-year ban, like we have now, is, is definitely a help, but we should try to bring that to an eight-year or a lifetime ban. Before I let you go, is there uh, anything else you'd like to mention? Maybe some sponsors, anything else you're working on? Nothing else right now. Um, just enjoying the sun down here and thankful to have Sockney as my sponsor and I have a couple other ones, Bonk Breaker. And, um, so it's nice to have the support. Um, but yeah, just, just enjoying the sun down here and getting some training and getting ready for the season. The Terminal Mile presents Ask Nate Brennan. Questions asked by you. Okay, so we have a couple of questions here from the tracky boards. Uh, first up, from who I can only imagine is Canadian steeplechase record holder, <laughs> Matt Hughes. Uh, he wants to know, what it is like to lose countless games of Mario Kart to me, Matt Hughes? Yeah, I, I live with Matt Hughes while we're in Scottsdale, so yeah, it's, it's humorous. The actual, the first game we played this year, my first time playing Mario Kart in probably five years, I beat him, so... I retired after the the one no, and then we just played ex- exhibition games after that. So, if if you ask me, I'm I'm one no against him. If you ask him, it's probably more like eight to to two. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Cam Levin's FTW wants to know: Do you plan to run at both Worlds and Pan Ams this summer? I do. That that's the plan this this year. With Pan Ams being basically my hometown, it's only an hour from where I grew up. That's pretty important to me. Um, obviously, the goal is is Worlds. Um, but I feel like we can kind of do a two-peak season and, and try to get gear up for, for Pan Ams and then still have a really good world championships. Now, JMP is wondering, what is your one food vice uh, <laughs> snack that you can, can't go a single week without? And he puts a stipulation on there that there's no lying <laughs> allowed. So I, I, I can only assume that's Justin Marplebird, who I also lived with um, a couple years ago when we were in Scottsdale. And I'm a big chocolate guy, and so I think he's asking that because he, he saw how much chocolate I would eat while we were down here. But So that's my vice, and I, I try to stay away from it once I get in season. And So that's the one thing I cut out, and then I start kind of dropping weight down. But do you, yeah. have a, do you have a preference? Like, are you an Arrow guy or an O'Henry guy? Or? Um, with, I've been in the U.S. for too long now, so it's hard to get Arrow down here. But um, no, for me, chocolate's chocolate. It's milk chocolate or nothing. I don't go dark. If I'm going to eat chocolate, I'm going to eat the, the fatty and uh, sugary <laughs> stuff. <laughs> There's a time for, for dark chocolate, and that's that's probably more when I'm in season. But, yeah, like I'm, I'm the type of person, if it's a dessert, if, if there's chocolate in it, it's a dessert. If there's no chocolate, it's not a dessert. <laughs> There's no arrow bars in the States. No kidding. No, there's a lot. Like 
uh, what a crunchy bar, uh, like Big Turk. There's, there's a handful of bars that we can't get down here. Wow, I'm shocked, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of anonymous questions. Uh, first, what is your most memorable race? Um, like I said before, the first big one was my first Central Light Championship. Um, I've had some some big ones since then, but that was the first one that sticks in my mind, and that was like the the first time I kind of broke out, and I was like, okay, like I I can make a career out of this, and and so that that's the one that always sticks in my head. It's not maybe the biggest performance, but it's it was a big one at the time. You've already kind of uh, mentioned this, but perhaps there might be some some hobbies as well you want to throw into this as well. What do you plan to do after retiring from professional running? Um, like I said, I like to coach, um, so stay in running as 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 much as I can. Um, it's it's done well for me, so I'd like to give back. Um, but I grew up as a hockey player, as most Canadians do, and took the running path when I was five foot, whatever, and a hundred pounds in the ninth grade. So. I stopped playing hockey, but I'll I'll pick up all those rec games again and start probably playing the the old timer league hockey and getting back into the sports that I unfortunately can't play now. And uh, finally, from someone called Little Petty, is it true that uh, Win, your coach, lifts more than your group in the weight room? I think we're we're lifting more than him now, but it's only because Win is is getting up there in, in age. Not that he's he's old or anything, but um, he, he's slowing down a bit. So our group is finally past him. But, yeah, there was a couple years ago when, when Gary was in the group and Wynn would show those guys up. And at the time, Gary was lifting quite a bit of weight. And, and unfortunately, Wynn was still a little bit stronger than everyone here. So, yes, it's a little embarrassing, but I think we're finally over that hump of, of lifting more than Wynn. Well, that's this week's episode. A huge thanks goes out to Nate for being on the show this week. You can find him on the web at natebrennan.com or on Twitter at natebrennan. There you can also find us at the Terminal Mile. Big thanks also goes out to Tracky for their ongoing support. And don't forget to check out the radio tab at tracky.com for all the latest episodes of this show, as well as the Rob Watson show. I'm also pleased to announce that we are now on iTunes as well as Stitcher and TuneIn. Just search Tracky Radio and you can take us wherever you go. As always, thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production.